You're listening to Sacks in the Basement, a production of the Broadcast Basement Limited, where every show is 30 minutes of good and comes from a basement bar on the south side of Chicago. Pull up a stool, pour a cold one, and join us right now for Sacks in the Basement. Heard everywhere podcasts can be found and always at SacksInTheBasement.com. I want to kick off the show today with something that I read in my local parish bulletin. Oh, okay. Most Holy Redeemer Catholic Church here in Evergreen Park. This is where I go to church every Sunday like a good Catholic boy. And Father Jim Highland is the pastor over there. This is his opening paragraph where he's going to talk with his parishioners about something, you know, like, you know, make sure that you don't get overwhelmed at Christmas and, you know, watch out for having regret. But the opening paragraph is what I want to read to you. Here it is. Every year around the middle of October, I begin to feel a great deal of regret in my life. Every year around the middle of October, I start to regret all the time I had spent the previous six months following the White Sox. I start to think about how different my life could be had I used that time in a different way. Maybe I wouldn't be so tired if I hadn't stayed up to watch those games from Los Angeles or Oakland or Seattle. Maybe my desk wouldn't be such a mess if I hadn't spent the time I did agonizing over a blown save. Maybe I wouldn't have such a long list of things to get done if I had done those things instead of spending long hours questioning our inability to bring a runner in scoring position home with less than two outs. (laughs) 2005 was the only year I didn't have this regret. That year, every second I spent following the White Sox was worth it. But usually... Every year, I do have this regret over how I spend my time. This year, there's more regret than usual. That is the head of a Catholic parish on the south side of Chicago venting his frustration about the Chicago White Sox. So if, you, if you're questioned by anybody about like your frustrations, just remember you're not alone. That's a man of God. Who, who basically sits around and tells people on their deathbed it's all part of God's plan, right? And he's frustrated about the Chicago White Sox. I would imagine that he laughed his butt off, shook his head, and then said, Lord, what the heck is going on when he heard that Daryl Boston was still on the coaching staff? Something that we, I think, were the only what? people okay. that said was going to happen, right? We were the only people, Ed, who said, watch out, Daryl Boston is going to be retained. I believe I believe we use the phrase Daryl Boston is eternal, which, right. which we've also used to describe Larry Garcia. I want to say that it was either James Fegan from The Athletic or Scott Merkin or Scott Greger. One of those guys, one of those guys actually laughed off me suggesting that to them because everybody believed that, you know, Pedro Gafal was going to get to pick everything that he wanted with the exception of Cats and the guys on the pitching side. But he didn't get that. I mean, here, let me just ask this simple question to to anybody out there listening to Socks in the Basement right now, brought to you proudly by Family Waterproofing Solutions. You heard the commercial at the beginning of the show uh, for anything from bowing walls to window wells, some pumps, gutter cleaning. Uh, just keep the basement dry. Keep it safe. Protect your foundation. They're available 24-7 at 708-330-4466. Mention Socks in the Basement. Get additional money off. Your basement's best defense is FamilyDry.com. But here's the question I want to pose to all of you listening listening to Socks in the Basement. If you were a first-time manager with decades upon decades in baseball, don't you think you'd have somebody you would want to have a beer with on long road trips that you could give the first base coach job to? 
Like, it's probably the most useless of all the coaching positions, first base coach. Like, you could pull somebody from the crowd on family Sundays and let that person coach first base and more than likely would have zero impact on the game. Like, Boston being the first base coach isn't going to hurt the White Sox. It just points out that his best buddy and former roommate, who their, their thickest thieves, Kenny Williams, has his guy still in the dugout to keep track of what's going on. You, do you think a first-time manager would really want that guy with that relationship with the president of baseball operations in his coaching staff? The fourth time, I think. This is his fourth coaching staff that he's going to be a part of. Fourth manager. It's his fourth manager, fifth if you count Miguel Cairo, which I don't. Right, but he, he's but, been inserted uh, in there, and there's obviously a reason why he's inserted. So that's where the absurdity comes. Like, well, and here's the thing. He was inserted in the first place into Robin Ventura's staff because Ventura wasn't in charge of picking his own staff, right? So you, you, you look at what Robin Ventura was given, and he was given guys like Daryl Boston. Okay, fine. And you could you could make some arguments that Boston transitions to Rick Renneria because they were both coaches under Ventura and Rick might've just taken a liking to Debo and said, okay, you know, stick around. Okay, that's fine. And and he's got some history with Tony La Russa, So you could see that transition, but this was one where I can't find the, the commonality between Pedro and Daryl Boston, other than the fact that Daryl Boston was probably in the building somewhere when Pedro was coming in to talk about the coaching staff because Daryl Boston is eternal as far as the White Sox are concerned. And I just, I, I don't understand. I don't understand it other than the, the only argument you can make, and, and you and I were in a big Twitter chain together over this, but the only argument that I could see is, is that Daryl Boston must be like one of the top 10 human beings on earth. Yeah, but he's not one of the top 10 human beings on earth. And I know this. Google is history. What it is is because... And in the end, this does answer a question. This answers something you hear on Chicago Sports Talk Radio. We've asked it before. Columnists have asked it before. Who's really in charge in the White Sox front office? It's Ken Williams. That isn't to, to say that Rick Hahn gets off the hook. Teflon Hahn is just as responsible for this team. But never forget that Kenny Williams is pulling the strings. Now, there, there's a reason why it's a consensus. Jerry has to approve it. And Kenny's really in charge. Every once in a while, he forgets that he's supposed to be behind the scenes, lurking in the shadows like the like the Wizard of Oz, where he's the man behind the curtain and Rick is actually the thing out in front that you see. But never forget how much control he has in that front office whenever you're dishing out blame. Now, the rest of the coaching staff, I'm, I'm fine with. I mean, honest to goodness, like their hitting coach is somebody that's got a nice little pedigree. Uh, you know, uh, Jose Castro should be should be a nice hitting coach. And Chris Johnson ends up being the assistant hitting coach. So it wasn't like just elevating the AAA guy to being the main guy. I, I'm fine with that. So, I mean, Charlie Montoyo should be a pretty good bench coach. I do find it interesting, though, that when you were handing out different jobs to people, that Daryl Boston's job last year was outfield, which was atrocious, and base running, which was atrocious. And you wanted him back so badly, you took away 50% of his responsibilities and handed them to somebody else because he's no longer in charge of base running. So what he does is he hangs out. He's got a whistle in his locker that they won't let him use anymore, which he used to blow in the middle of games and, and annoy other teams for no apparent reason whatsoever. Uh, he's supposedly just a great dude that people want to have around, and he hits fly balls so outfielders can shag them. That's what Daryl Boston does. I wish I had his job. Maybe it's just jealousy on my part that I, can, I, I can't just float through life because of who I know and stand at first base and coach the White Sox. You know, like maybe that's what it is. Maybe I'm the problem. And so we should move on from this. Well, this is why drunk guys beat up first base coaches too. They're just jealous.
Join us on the phone line right now. Uh, every guest of Socks in the Basement brought to you proudly by the village of Lamont. Uh, shop, dine, drink, explore, enjoy the holiday season with the lights up and visit LamontDowntown.com to see everything that they have going on this weekend. Andrew Borders is joining us on the line right now. He currently writes about the White Sox for OvertimeHeroics.net, and it's his first time on Socks in the Basement. How are you, Andrew? Doing great, Chris. How are you? Good, man. Listen, uh, I feel like we're sharing a brain. You wrote an article recently where you were talking about the idea that Mike Clevenger being signed at least opens the door if Rick Hahn is considering moving on from Lucas Giolito. Now, I, I want to know whether or not you share my feeling. Does Lucas Giolito need to be traded? Because I don't think he needs to be traded. I think that you he's going to have a good year this year. But if you want to move on from a guy and get something else that you need, and then maybe explore bringing in another starter or something like that to fill his spot. And you got Clevenger there, who could probably pitch at the level that you would want Giolito to pitch at. It gives you a little flexibility in the trade market if the right deal came along. Are we are we like in sync on that? Oh, I would say we're a hundred percent in sync, Chris, because I don't um, I don't want them to move on from Giolito just because, like every White Sox fan, you fall in love with players. But I think the opportunity to move away from him is good if they're going to do so. It does, and the Clevenger signing does open the door. I expect, like you do, Giolito to have a, actually a, a pretty good year. Um, I think he'll bounce back. Um, no lockout in the offseason to deal with. Uh, working with Ethan Katz all year. Yeah, I expect him to have a huge year, and the opportunity is definitely there for them to move him if they want to. Now, the value is not what it could have been had he not had a down 2022, but there's still value there. You know, we talked a little bit about Liam Hendricks being a trade chip. Uh, I, I know that you've explored that in a, in a recent article, and I find it interesting that the White Sox put out their promotional items, and there's a few guys that aren't really featured so far this year in a promotional item that were, were featured last year, and Hendricks is not featured right now, and it may be because the team isn't exactly sure if he's going to be around for the 2023 season. I mean, it, that's kind of like the cherry on top of closer like Hendricks. When you have other holes... He may be somebody that they move. How many teams out there are looking for Liam Hendricks? I mean, I know you could probably sit there and say, well, all of them, right? Everybody would take a Liam Hendricks. But, I mean, it's got to be a team that's competing, and it's got to be a team that doesn't really have a closer that'd be willing to give up what he's actually worth. And I would think his worth is that he's probably one of those few guys that have a good amount of worth on this team that you could move and maybe find a Reynaldo Lopez or somebody else to slide into his spot and not see that much of a come down in the position of closing pitcher and pick up something you actually need. So is there a market for Liam out there? Oh, I, I think there's absolutely a market for Liam Hendricks. And the first, you know, the first team that pops into my head is, is the Los Angeles Dodgers. Um, now, I know, you know, the Kimbrell thing didn't work out for them. A lot of trust with Kimbrell out in L.A., Hendricks can be trusted. He's that guy that you throw in there. You know, you, you got to lock it down in the ninth, and, and Liam's going to the bump. You know what you're going to get. So, yeah, and I think the Dodgers are, are a perfect fit for Liam, and I, th- I think they have the capital in their system to move us to second baseman. What is the first thing that you think the White Sox go and do in the winter meetings? Are they going outfield? Are they going to address second base? Are they going to ignore those two positions because they've done so in the last couple off seasons and do something that we're not expecting? What, what do you, if you had to look into your crystal ball, what do you see the White Sox doing first? There's no telling what they're going to do, but if I had to guess, um, a trade with Milwaukee for Colton Wong is almost too perfect to not happen. 
I kind of expect to see that, and I expect them to attack second base before the outfield. I think Oscar Colas is probably your opening day starting right fielder, um, unless something catastrophic happens with him. So, so I think second base is probably the position they attack first. And and you and I know that Gavin Sheets will probably open open the season in left field. Andrew Borders writes for OvertimeHeroics.net. You can check out all of his White Sox coverage there, and you can follow him on Twitter at Andrew Borders. 10, or if you want to call it, Andrew Borders 1-0, all right? <laughs> Andrew, thanks so much for jumping on Socks in the Basement. Hey, I appreciate it, Chris. Thanks for having me. The wood from this tree belts the ball to right field. into the bleachers. Morningwoodbats.com is a custom wooden baseball bat company that'll help you smoke them over the fence. Check out our custom bat builder that allows you to pick the wood species, model, and color and get custom personalized engraving that'll be drop shipped right to you. Put some life in your lumber with Morningwood. Morningwoodbats.com. 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 Do it today. Socks in the Basement listeners, remember to put in Socks 22 when you make your purchase at MorningwoodBats.com. Get 10% off. I think they're going to do some stuff, though. Like, I really do. I think, Ed, that there's going to be moves. I found it interesting that when the White Sox PR department put out uh, the different giveaways, like the initial promotional giveaways, the only two things associated with a player on this team is an Aloy Jimenez bobblehead where he's saying, hi, mom, which, by the way, happened years ago. So it's kind of funny that that's one of the best moments we can come up with is something that happened years ago. That tells you something about how this season went last year. And then a a, a, uh, Luis Robert bobblehead. Like those two guys, like at some point, somebody had to sit down and say, we want to do promotional stuff. Is the Luis Robert bobblehead him grabbing his leg in pain? I don't know. Just asking. The leg bobbles? That would be the the leg bobbles. Listen, if, if here's the thing, at some point, somebody sat down. And said, we're thinking about doing promotional stuff. Who are you sure is going to be someone we want to promote next summer? Who are you sure is going to be on the team? Who are you sure is going to be in good standing? Who are you sure that you're not going to trade away? Who are you sure about? I got three names and you just named two of them. They got Aloya Menes and, and Luis Robert. Okay. And that, that those are the only ones and that anybody was sure about. Cease is the other guy that I would put in there. I don't, I don't, I don't see them moving him unless it's for a godfather offer. But after that, I would say that, that that tells you that they weren't sure about very much. When you see the initial also, promotional the Dylan stuff. Also, the Dylan had the mustache with Bobble, not the head, right? Well, that's what they should have done, right? Like, you know, that's what they should have done. They should have had a, a, a mustache Bobble. That, that would have been better than the two things that I already saw them put out. Like, I, that would have been cool. Right. So, But I, I do think that that indicates that nobody was really sure when they started the process for promotional items what was going to happen this offseason. So I'm very curious about how the winter meetings will go. They will make moves. They have to make moves, right? And that's and it's partially because they're already at or above their expected payroll. So I, I'd take Rick Hahn on face value when he says that they're going to try and improve through trades. I think the winter meetings is the natural spot to do it. I don't, I don't think that there's any question what they're going to try and do there. But it's, it's you know, the the people who are out right now prognosticating and trying to pick and choose what they think they're going to do and, and playing fantasy manager, general manager, I should say, and trying to make these trades, I, I, I think we, you know, we have to temper our expectations as fans a little bit because trades are difficult. Free agency is easy, right? Signing Mike Clevenger was an easy choice. You like what Clevenger has to offer. He's willing to take uh, a contract that is, is in your mind, team-friendly and fair to him, 
great. Sign him up. Okay. It's, it's a contract. It's, it's very straightforward. And a lawyer like Rick Hahn can whip those out in his sleep. Uh, trades are, are, are more difficult because what, what the tendency for us to do as fans is sit there and go, well, well, Andrew Vaughn is going to be a really great player. So any team would love to have Andrew Vaughn. So I'm going to go and I'm going to take him and, and Lennon Sosa seems pretty good too. And I'm going to package those two guys and Liam Hendricks over to, uh, you know, a, a team for a second baseman, right? Or I'm going to, I'm going to take, you know, Gavin Sheets is, is this power hitting left, you know, left-handed power hitter that's this wonderful hit player. And, and, you know, any team would be glad to have them, right? So I'm going to find a team that kind of needs an outfielder, needs a first baseman, and they're going to give me their second baseman. Well, it's not that simple, right? You got to think about whether or not that team has a second baseman worth giving up, right? That the Sox would want, whether they have multiple options, whether those options are better than what the Sox have, whether or not what you're trading to that team is going to impede you in the future. So like take the Yankees, right? If Rick Hahn wants to trade for a second baseman, the Yankees have DJ LeMahieu, they have Glaber Torres, they've got Oswaldo Peraza, right? They got options. They got three guys that can fill that position at a major league level. Are they better than what the Sox have in, say, Lennon Sosa and Jose Rodriguez, Yolmer Sanchez, Gilbert Sanchez, not Yolmer. Yolmer's gone. Uh, Yolbert Sanchez, you know, or Larry Garcia. Are they better? Yeah, I would say so, right? But let's say you have to trade Liam Hendricks and Lucas Giolito to get that and maybe, you know, one of those second basemen and a couple other pieces back. If the Yankees are really a closer away from being an American League powerhouse again, do you want to run into them in the playoffs? Do you want to make that team better than you potentially? And is the upgraded second base better for you and make you a better contender than what, what happens there? So there's a lot to think about and there's a lot to consider. And when you don't see the trades made that you think should be made, like when Gavin Lux doesn't end up on the South side of Chicago, it's probably because the Dodgers, there's nothing you could offer the Dodgers that would make them think that giving up Lux helps them this year or giving up Jake Cronenworth by the Padres helps them this year. Or, you know, you can very easily though convince the Mariners to give up on Dylan Moore who had really kind of a crappy last year and a half and could still play second base, but you know, is he, do you want him? So the, I'm sure Rick will pull off at least one move, maybe a couple of moves. I just don't know that they're going to be the moves that like we're all sitting there as fans or, or what you see out there in, in the Twitterverse or what you see, you know, in, in the other media forms, people sitting there going, Hey, wouldn't it be great? Couldn't we just say, take Andrew Vaughn and trade him and go get Oswaldo Peraza from the Yankees? Why, why would they say no? There's a lot of reasons. And there's a lot of reasons why Rick Conrad sit there and go, that seems like a really bad idea on my part. I'm not going to do that. And maybe they have a little bit more money now. Uh, credit to James Fox. He's the first person that tweeted this out and said that he thinks that the payroll will actually increase now from the original 180 that we were hearing uh, when you're listening to Rick Hahn start speaking at the beginning of the offseason. And a lot of that comes from the fact that Major League Baseball just sold the remaining stake of their streaming video company to Disney for $900 million. And the MLBPA right. has already come out and said we're looking to see how much of that goes back into player salaries. So the idea is you split up that $900 million amongst those baseball owners. They're really supposed to be taking that money and putting it into payroll. So with that signing, you would assume there might be more 
to keep the bottom line still in the black for Jerry Reinsdorf and add another player out there all of a sudden in free agency. I don't know if it's going to translate that way, but it's a possibility now that we could see more money in the White Sox pockets that they can actually use. I was thinking about the way that things work over there at 35th and Shields, and I was having a conversation with a good friend of mine by the name of Craig Toth, who does another show here on the Broadcast Basement On Demand Radio Network, Bucks in the Basement. I started Sox in the Basement. He was listening to it. He's like, there should be one for the Pirates. And he lives out in Pittsburgh, and I help him out with that show. And so I know a little bit about what's going on out in Pittsburgh. And what they have is an owner by the name of Bob Nutting. Bob Nutting and Jerry Reinsdorf, when Forbes put out their list of rich baseball owners, were right next to each other in the rankings. So basically, these two guys, they have the same amount of money. They have the same amount of billions. Nutting operates on a much smaller budget, but they both do things the same way. They don't want to lose any money, right? Like, they, they really don't care about winning. They care about making sure that at the end of the year, they're not in the red. And so they set their budgets. The difference between these two owners, even though Nutting spends far less because Pittsburgh doesn't bring in as much in in media contracts and and money at the gate, and it's a different market out there in Pittsburgh than it is in Chicago. So their their payroll is lower. The difference is that Bob Nutting has replaced his general manager every couple of years since he took over. He's got Ben Charrington in there now because he didn't like the way the other guy was operating in his budget. His philosophy seems to be, I may be cheap. You may not like what I'm spending, but this is all you're getting. And you as a general manager need to use the resources properly. I, I can only imagine a guy like Charrington who's changed the way that the Pirates do business and has, is modeling a little bit closer to what Tampa Bay does because he realizes he has to work within those budget constraints. I can only imagine what a competent general manager would do with the amount of money that Reinstorf spends. I wish he would spend more. Don't get me wrong. I'm not excusing him. He's a terrible baseball owner. Okay, and I look forward to the day when somebody else is in charge of my favorite team. But the guys in the front office, man, I mean, spend the money better because I see other guys in Major League Baseball who are held accountable and work within the budget that's given by the by the uh, owner. And, and you might get a little bump here now. So trades and free agent signings, everything should be on the table. I want to see something happen here this month. I really do. It's time now to do some big time work on this team and get it set up because there's so much talent, Ed. I mean, think about it. I don't think they're going to have as bad of a year as last year. I don't like the Zips projections. I don't like anything that's saying right now they're an under 500 team. I still think they're a better team next year right now than what they were last year. But if you're really going to compete and you're going to go up against teams like the Astros in the postseason and even in the regular season when you face them, you have to get better. Socks in the Basement listeners, do the hard work. And if you're a hardworking man or woman on the South Side, you need to be outfitted properly. And that's why you should visit Red Wing Shoes in Evergreen Park, New Lenox, and Geneva. A work boot specialty store that carries sizes from 6 to 16 and feet as wide as 4E. A 115-year-old company that came out of Red Wing, Minnesota. And one of its largest stores in the entire Midwest is in Evergreen Park, Illinois, ever since 1976. When you're on your feet, the footwear is everything. So why not get an expert fitting? They warranty, repair, and offer free conditioning with laces. And they also carry Carhartt work clothing as well. Located at 3347 West 95th Street in Evergreen Park, Illinois, at 208 East Maple Street on Route 30 in New Lenox, or at 1749 South Randall Road in Geneva. Visit them today. You work hard. You've earned it. Red Wing Shoes. Every year, you have to measure yourself against the rest of the team in the American League. 
and, and the rest of the teams across baseball, really. But you have to sit there and say, okay, can I get to the playoffs? And can I beat the division? And that's an easy one to, to sort of measure out, right? Where, where do we stand? But then you got to measure yourself against who's going to win the other divisions, who are the likely playoff teams. Can I get out of the first round? Can I get to the ALCS? Can I get to the World Series? Can I win a World Series? And the Sox could be better this year, but they could be a first round out again in the playoffs. And they need to improve on that. So you also need to measure yourself against yourself, right? Measuring them against last year, Last year was a bad year. It was a down year. There's a million reasons why things went wrong, and it's been talked to death. Measuring yourself against 2021, you got to figure out how to get past the Astros. You got to figure out how to get past that first round. And trades, free agency, whatever, you're right. Jerry could spend more because he's in the third largest market in the country. He's in Chicago. But there are plenty of teams around Major League Baseball that compete every year. The Rays, for example, find a way to win. The Rays do not spend that much money. Tampa is not a great market. They have attendance problems down there. Their stadium is terrible. They don't have a great TV market. There's a lot of reasons why Tampa should fail. And yet, they consistently find a way to win. But watch their transactions, man. They churn players. They're constantly bringing up young guys. They're constantly spinning off guys that they don't think are going to pan out, but that other teams are willing to take a chance on. And sometimes... It bites them in the butt a little bit, and sometimes it doesn't. They get to a point where they get a pitcher who is about to get a payday, and they send him off, but they always have somebody to come up behind them. And you can win on a budget. You can win on a cheap budget in this league. You just have to be able to do it. And if Rick Hahn and Kenny Williams are thinking like they are the general manager and the president of the Mets, where money is not an issue, and in fact they need to be thinking like, we're the president and general manager of the Rays where money is absolutely an issue, then that's the fault of the guys, like you said, it's the fault of Rick Hahn and Kenny Williams for not being able to work well within that budget or for trying to pretend like the budget doesn't exist and doing things beyond what they're capable of, like signing Yasmani Grandal to money that you eventually can't afford or signing Dallas Keuchel to money you shouldn't have signed in the first place, things like that. My prediction is that the first thing that they acquire is they're going to acquire an outfielder. I think that even though second base really is glaring, everybody's assuming it's Oscar Colas uh, in right field. I think that's the first move that happens. I might be wrong, but I think that the, I think we're well, going to see you something. Need two outfielders, right? Yeah, I think outfielder. You're going to see some. You're going to see them add an outfielder through a trade, and then maybe go out and actually sign a free agent outfielder if there's actually more money now with this deal that was made or if Han was playing possum or whatever the reason is. I, I, I tend to think to myself, there's probably another signing in there, one more, and there's definitely a trade, but I'm going to see outfielder first. I think that's where it's going. Well, and, and outfielders are more plentiful than second basemen are, right? So y you have fewer opportunities to get a second baseman on, on the trade market than you do outfielders because outfielders, there's a lot of them, right? And that's where, like, look at Gavin Sheets and Andrew Vaughn. Two minor league first basemen who end up playing right and left field for the White Sox are now, you know, if somebody traded for them, they could also plug them into their outfield. I don't know why they would, but they could. And you, you get a lot of that, right? So, you know, Nick Castellanos, for example, down in Philadelphia, he was a third baseman with the, with the Tigers, and all of a sudden he's a right fielder. It, it just sort of happens to guys, right? Chris Bryant is now an outfielder. So you, you get that more often. So you just have more guys and more churn there. So I think they will be able to find an outfielder. And I also think they'll be able to find a good outfielder for relatively little trade capital. 
Uh, I think it's harder. I think it's harder for them to trade for a starting pitcher or a second baseman just because of scarcity. Well, second base is going to be the most interesting thing, and we'll finish on this. But I've seen a couple of lists now where they're talking about second base prospects, where the opening paragraph that the person that's that's doing their rankings, the, the opening paragraph, they're indicating that this list is very different than what it was a year before. And the reason is that second base values have changed drastically now that the shift has been taken away, or at least changed drastically. Uh, you know, I mean, you're still going to see some shifting, but th- there's certain things they can't do. You need more range at second. And so guys that were on prospect list to be second baseman, the way that people were ranked in terms of their skill and their value on teams that play second base has changed because that guy has to play a position that he didn't have to really play the last couple of years when everybody was shifting. So it'll be interesting to see, not only do the White Sox make a move for second base, do they recognize that, or do they get bamboozled, which is probably far more likely with this general manager and president baseball operations, do they get bamboozled into taking a guy that used to be more valuable and now isn't as valuable because he doesn't have the range at second base? Well, and that would be a very very White Sox thing, right? They, they, they upgrade second base offensively, but then defensively it's terrible. Right. Right. And then they're relying more on their infield defense to get guys out because they don't want extreme fly ball pitchers on their staff. So they try and, you know, change their philosophy. And what you end up with is Aaron Bummer giving up weak choppers in key situations that your second baseman can't get to because he's really a third baseman. He's really a corner infielder playing second base. That's why when people have talked about Yon Moncada going back, that was Moncada's problem at second. He's got great hands. He and he's he's got a great first step. He's quick, right? He doesn't have any range, and that was the problem. Is, is that he could just barely kind of get to the ball, and then he was getting errors, you know, and stuff when he was trying to extend himself. I want to remind everybody that the law offices of Parente and Norm have put up a thousand dollars for the thousand dollar guest bounty. That you could win $1,000, and all you have to do is just get us a really cool guest. It could be anything. It could be a baseball player. It could be somebody from a front office. It could be an analyst. It could be a movie star. It could be a, a comedian. The best interview of the offseason wins $1,000 from Parente and Norm. Remember, they have won over $400 million for their clients, and they will give you a free case evaluation. Call or text them today, 312-641-5926, or visit pninjurylaw.com. You really need to think like shortstop at second baseman you know again now it's got to be a, a legit middle infielder and you're right it, it does it does change things i've also seen those prospect lists where lennon sosa for example is listed but then you sit there and you look and you go okay but his numbers last year don't really match what his predicted talent level is so you're going to see lennon sosa he hit what 25 bombs and everybody knows that his batting profile doesn't necessarily support him having that kind of a hard hit rate or that kind of a home run rate so you really are looking at, you know, and I'd be okay with this too. If they got a guy at second base who was a little bit younger and therefore less likely to hurt himself than Josh Harrison, but was able to, on a consistent basis, maintain sort of a league average in terms of batting average and offensive contribution, I think that's a win for the White Sox there. I think the outfield, those those two corner outfield spots, if you're really putting Aloy Jimenez at DH, that's where I want that huge offensive upgrade because I want I want my outfield to be Luis Robert, potential MVP candidate in center field, and he's got to take that next step. And then I want the guys on either side of him to be, you know, just guys that day in and day out, your your germane die level guys, right? That you just put them in the lineup and let them go. Socks in the basement. 
Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Heard everywhere podcasts can be found. And always on SocksInTheBasement.com.